Similar to with Alexander Wayne, you may see people expressing their disgust on social media when they see celebrities wearing the designs or attending the shows of certain designers. Unlike with the founders of heritage fashion companies like Chanel and Hugo Boss mentioned in earlier episodes this season, you don't have the ability to truly separate the founder from the brand, especially when the founders are still working for their companies and their scandals are recent. Of course, you have your consumers that are either unaware or don't care. However, a lot of people that work in the industry keep tabs on the problematic ways of designers. At the last minute, I chose to combine the YouTube video for this week's episode and last week's to talk more about why I think celebrities in particular tend to ignore these scandals. Welcome to Most Fashionable Crime, a fashion-related true crime podcast hosted by me, Taryn. Each season has a theme, and the theme of this season is house. To stay on trend, sign up for the newsletter, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow the podcast on Twitter at Most Fashionable, and on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Most Fashionable Crime. If you want to keep the conversation going, there is a discussion group on Facebook and a Reddit community, which are both linked in the notes. Thank you so much to everyone that supports this podcast. And if you would like to support, there is a link in the notes as well. You can support Most Fashionable Crime Free by sharing this podcast, leaving it a five-star rating in a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and now Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and listen and engage on social media. While you're listening right now, share that you are to your Instagram story. Joint ventures in the fashion industry are very interesting to me because the industry itself can be so individualistic that sometimes it's hard to fathom groups of people coming together to perform the same task or skill. One of my favorite joint ventures is behind AB and DM Studio. They are a couple of fashion photographers by the names of Ahmad Barber and Dante Maurice. They have shot some of the best magazine covers in fashion photography overall in recent years. In styling, you have Rob Zingardi and Muriel Hain, the fashion duo that is best known for dressing Jennifer Lopez. Then you also have your fashion design duos like Victor and Rolf, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, who I did an episode on last season. But I am focusing on a different design duo for this episode, Domenico Dolce and Stefano Gabbana. I'll start off with the first half of Dolce and Gabbana. Domenico Dolce was born in Polizzi Generosa, a small town in Sicily, Italy, on August 13, 1958. Similar to Lucy and Lalonde from the first episode of this season, Dolce had what you could consider a fashion upbringing. Dolce's father worked as a tailor and his mother sold clothes and fabrics. I learned that his family owned a clothing factory and I learned that Dolce grew up working in the factory while learning the ins and outs of the fashion industry. I was surprised to learn that he chose to take it a step further and pursue studies in fashion design at the Instituto Marigoni, seeing as he already had so much experience and access to the industry. The Marigoni Institute is a private fashion and design school in Milan, Italy, that began focusing on fashion design, marketing, and product development in the 1970s. The founder of Moschino, Franco Moschino, attended and completed studies at the school in 1971. It also did not surprise me to learn that Dolce dropped out of the school after only a few months because he believed the school didn't have anything new to teach him and that he can make it as a designer without formal schooling. It's mentioned that his dream was to work for Armani and I don't believe that dream was fulfilled. 
However, I did read that Dolce & Gabbana had some beef with Armani after Giorgio Armani accused the design duo of copying his quilted men's pant design in 2009. Someone from Dolce & Gabbana hit back and said that Armani was never an inspiration for them, which is obviously hard for me to believe as it was Dolce's dream to work for Armani. I'm not sure whether the design was stolen or not. There isn't much to find out about Dolce between him dropping out of school and starting D&G, except that he worked in a design studio. So I will move on to the other half and their background. Stefano Gabbana was born in what is considered to be the fashion capital of Italy, Milan. He was born on November 14, 1962. Unlike his counterpart, Gabbana did not have a fashion upbringing. Gabbana's mother worked for a laundry service ironing clothes and his father worked in a printing factory. Gabbana originally didn't have the desire to pursue studies or a career in fashion at all, but he did love art. He left Milan to attend school in Rome where he was enrolled at Instituto Superiore per la Industrie Artistiche. The Higher Institute for Artistic Industries focuses on industrial design. He studied graphic design with set intentions on a career in advertising. But after a stint working in advertising, he decided that that was not the right fit for him and he chose to go into fashion. After this break, I'll tell you the story of Domenico Dolce and Stefano Gabbana becoming a union. The story of how they met is kind of confusing. I've read multiple articles, but the story that makes the most sense to me is that Dolce met Gabbana in a Milan nightclub in 1980. And then Dolce, who was working for Giorgio Corrigiari as an assistant designer, hooked up Gabbana with a job at Giorgio Corrigiari too. Gabbana worked in the sportswear department while the other, more experienced Dolce taught him how to tailor and sketch out design ideas. They both publicly expressed gratitude for Corrigiari, especially Gabbana, who was taken under the wing without any design experience. Two years into them working together for Corrigiari, the duo struck up a romantic relationship beginning an open relationship that would last decades. One year into their romance in 1983, the duo left to start their own design consultancy company out of their shared small apartment in Milan and with $1,000 to invest. While they were trying to find their way, they did a lot of freelance design work for other companies. As we recognize the brand formally came about in 1985 when they launched Dolce & Gabbana SBA. In October of that same year, they showed on the runway for the first time at the Milan Collection's New Talents Fashion Show. The designs were received so well that they launched their first collection and held their own runway show only five months later. The way their partnership worked was that Dolce, the one with the most design experience, would create the illustrations and do the prototypes made of muslin, while Gabbana sourced and selected fabrics as well as critiqued the designs. A lot of the designs that gave them notoriety included the ones with animal prints and sexier silhouettes. Despite their designs being received well, the sales from their first collection were disappointing and Gabbana tried to cancel the fabric order for their second collection. Dolce's father was manufacturing their garments through his company, Dolce Saverio. Dolce's father also stepped in to help with the cost of running a fashion company, and fortunately for them, the fabric order cancellation did not go through. Dolce & Gabbana started growing really fast. In the late 1980s, they launched a knitwear line, a lingerie line, and a swimwear line. They also expanded their international presence by way of showrooms and stores. 
Music and fashion are continuously crossing over, especially when it comes to what the artists wear on tour. We've seen it with Beyonce and Balmain and Dua Lipa and Versace. Madonna gave Dolce & Gabbana what could be considered their first international big break. Madonna really loves Dolce & Gabbana. She spoke about how she appreciated that they designed for a womanly body and not just a very thin figure, which was popular on the runways around this time with the rise of Kate Moss and the heroin chic look that was trending. Madonna made a splash when she wore a gemstone corset bodysuit and a jacket, both by Dolce & Gabbana, to the New York City premiere of Truth or Dare in bed with Madonna in 1991. This led to a great relationship between both parties. The fashion duo went on to design 1,500 costumes for Madonna's girly tour in 1993. This is what many people believe solidified their international brand recognition. A lot of people say in order to make it in music, you have to make it big in the United States. And to some extent, that could be said for fashion as well. After this, they designed costumes for other performers. Some of these performers include Beyonce, Mary J. Blige, Whitney Houston, and Missy Elliott. They also continued to design for Madonna's future tours. They also continued to design for Madonna's future tours, and they ventured into the film industry as costume designers. They designed the costumes for the 1996 movie Romeo and Juliet starring Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio. Dolce & Gabbana continued to expand, really making their mark on the fashion industry in a relatively short amount of time. As I mentioned, this duo has seen a great amount of success in the amount of $3 billion. According to Forbes, as of today, April 17, 2022, Dolce and Gabbana are each worth $1.5 billion. Yesterday, the estimate for Gabbana was $1.7 billion. But either way, they make the top 30 of richest people in Italy. Things were not always smooth sailing for the billionaire duo, and like Aldo Gucci, they faced charges of tax evasion. For years, they had been going against the charges, and it appeared that the issue had been resolved. They learned that was not the case when the Milan tax court did not rule in their favor. In April 2013, they were fined 343.4 million euros or $441 million by the Italian Tax Commission. According to Forbes, the investigation into their tax evasion began in 2007, and the years that focused on were 2004, 2005, and 2006. In July of 2013, lower Italian courts found them both guilty of failing to declare millions of euros D&G had earned through a Luxembourg-based holding company called Gatto. It was reported that the two undervalued the company at the sale of Dolce & Gabbana to Gatto to avoid paying taxes on royalties amounting to 1 billion euros. Corporate taxes in Italy are around the highest in the world. Other Italian designers, Roberto Cavalli and Valentino, have gotten caught up as well. The fashion duo essentially sold the company to themselves. They actually had control of the company, meaning that they had enough shares of the company to make all the decisions of the company. I found it funny that the name of the company, Gatto, appears to have been derived from the first two letters of each of their last names. Judge Antonella Brambilla sentenced them each to 20 months in prison, but the duo maintained their innocence and appealed the case and charges against them. They even protested by closing their shops in Milan for a short period of time. This is really interesting to me because I don't know who really wins or suffers in this situation. I feel like it would be Dolce & Gabbana seen as they're missing out on money, but I guess they also wanted to show that Milan needs us, Italy needs us. In October the following year, 
the Italian Supreme Court found them both not guilty of committing tax evasion. They issued the following statement via Twitter after being cleared. We have always been honest and we are extremely proud of this recognition by the Italian Court of Justice. Viva l'Italia. Let me know on the most fashionable crime socials if you think that they got away with committing tax evasion. Domenico Dolce and Stefano Cabana are not known for just having one scandal. I put links in the notes to two articles. One article is titled, A Comprehensive Timeline of Every Offensive Comment Stefano Gabbana Has Ever Made. And there's another one titled, Every Bad Thing Dolce and Gabbana Has Done. I had a good amount to choose from when working on this episode, but I'm going to save some of the more racist scandals for a future episode. The first big Dolce & Gabbana scandal that I can remember was when Dolce's stance on in vitro fertilization was made public. Keep in mind that both Dolce and Gabbana are gay men. Actually, in 2017, Gabbana said that he's simply a man and does not want to be defined by his sexual preferences. Domenico and Stefano are both men that date other men. As I mentioned, they were in an open relationship with each other for over 20 years. Dialing it back to what Dolce said, regarding his stance on in vitro fertilization, he spoke to an Italian newspaper called Panorama. Dolce told Panorama, we oppose gay adoptions. I'm assuming that the we in this situation includes Gabbana. He also said that the only family is the traditional one. The traditional family in his belief is one started by a man and woman. Dolce kept digging himself into a deeper hole and went on to say that no chemical offspring and rented uterus. Life has a natural flow. There are things that should not be changed. And he also went on to say, I call children of chemistry synthetic children. Rented uterus, semen chosen from a catalog. These were honestly just nasty and ignorant things to say. For one, IVF is not just for gay couples, so that kind of shows you what their breadth of knowledge on that particular topic was. Of course, the brand and the designers received serious backlash after these thoughts were made known publicly. One of the biggest people that called him out was Sir Elton John. Now, one thing about Elton John is he will come up off that piano to let someone have it. We recently saw him call out a rapper by the stage name of The Baby last summer for misspreading information regarding HIV and AIDS, as well as making homophobic statements. John posted a picture of the designers with a caption that read, How dare you refer to my beautiful children as synthetic? And shame on you for wagging your judgmental little fingers at IVF, a miracle that has allowed legions of loving people, both straight and gay, to fulfill their dream of having children. Hashtag boycott Dolce Gabbana. John and his husband, David Furnish, have had two sons conceived through IVF and born via surrogacy. Ricky Martin also called out the duo in a tweet. At that point in 2015, he had also had two children born via gestational surrogacy. They were called out by many people, and apparently one of the D&G executives left the company because of these comments. You'll see that Gabbana is actually the mouthiest of the duo, at least in recent years. And while Dolce was the one that received most of the heat, Gabbana defended both himself and Dolce. He left comments under John's picture of them calling him a fascist and telling people to boycott Elton John. Gabbana ended up releasing a statement on Instagram that read, We firmly believe in democracy and the fundamental principle of freedom of expression that upholds it. We talked about our ways of seeing reality, but it was never our intention to judge other people's choices. Dolce released his own statement and his read, 
I'm Sicilian and I grew up in a traditional family made up of a mother, a father, and children. I am very well aware of the fact that there are different types of families and they are as legitimate as the one I've known. But in my experience, family had a different configuration. He also told Vogue that he underwent some soul searching and talked with his business partner, Gabbana, and realized what he said was inappropriate and apologized. He also admitted that he did not know much at all about IVF, which was obvious. I found this all really sad, especially given the fact that a lot of people have found their families within the fashion community. There are also a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community that have found their families through fashion. A lot of people got exposed to that with the TV show Pose that highlighted ballroom culture and also showed the impact that fashion has on it. Also, family is what you make it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Most Fashionable Crime. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out the YouTube video for this week where I will discuss why I think certain celebrities do not call out their problematic favorite designers. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss anything. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter and subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel. Download episodes and leave a five-star rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All of my sources are linked in the notes. In case you are wondering, this podcast was written, recorded, produced, and edited by me, Taryn. All the music you heard in this episode is from Epidemic Sound.